Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve. We're a little bit ahead of Christmas, but we're glad that you are here. It's going to be a great day. I'm excited to bring a special Christmas message this morning. I got to tell you, though, it is the hardest thing to uh, preach a Christmas message. You say, why? Because you've heard it already. I mean, how many years have you been in church and every year you're like, um, there's not much you could do with the baby. I mean, he comes in the manger. I mean, it's not like he comes on a motorcycle or he drops from the sky. I mean, there's not a whole lot of creativity that you can bring to it. So usually when you start looking at this passage of Scripture, um, especially if you're speaking to anybody that's been in the church any length of time, this is a very familiar passage. So this week I went back and forth, back and forth on, on, on what to bring, what to preach, and I'm excited about the message that God gave me this morning. And I'm glad that you are here because you showing up here, like I said, Basically, um, you, God told me that because you came to Southridge, that basically for the next week you can eat whatever you want. He will cancel out the calories in the food that you intake this week. Just, so just eat up, okay? It's not going to count against you. That's worth clapping about. I'm telling you what, all right? So don't worry about the waistline. You just enjoy yourself. That's what God told me because you're here. So I'm glad that you are here this morning. And all truth be told, I don't know if God really did speak that to me. If he did, you all need to find another church, okay? Because this pastor's something's wrong. But uh, I'm excited to bring a message out of Matthew chapter number one. And uh, welcome this morning. We're glad that you are here. And uh, what we're going to do something kind of different out of Matthew chapter number one. We're going to kind of look at the backstory because we know the story. We, we know what happened. We know Mary. We know Joseph. But it's the backstory that sometimes we don't necessarily know all the events that led up to Christ's birth. And we're going to look at that because, believe it or not, you and I have a backstory. When I look at you, what I see, there's so much underneath the surface that I'm not aware of. That's why whenever I sit down and meet with somebody the first time, I just want to tell them, tell me your story. I mean, what really makes you tick? All of a sudden, then I understand why you do things a certain way, uh, why you are a certain way, because why your past says a lot about you. It kind of explains a lot about you because you have this backstory. And truth be told, your backstory is very important to you, whether it's a good backstory or a bad backstory. It's very important to who you are today. Someone has wisely said, my past may explain me, but it doesn't define me. And if your past is good or bad, I'm, I'm not looking at it this morning saying your past is negative, therefore that's why you have these. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm looking at our backstory. And whenever I, I watch a movie, I'm kind of different. I like to watch the making of the movie. So I'm the guy that, yes, I will buy the special extended edition just so I can watch the deleted scenes, the, en- the edited scenes, and kind of the making of the movie because I like that kind of stuff, especially the movie It's a Wonderful Life. There's an interesting backstory to that. It actually, the story comes from a Christmas card that this guy wrote, and um, he sold it to RKO Studios, all right? So the backstory of It's a Wonderful Life is that it didn't start out as a movie script. It started out as a Christmas card, and that's kind of interesting to me. And also, Cary Grant was supposed to play the main role and not James Stewart. There's kind of interesting backstory. And a lot of people, they think, oh, it was filmed in a, a upstate New York, and they talk about being around Buffalo, and you see the snow, you see the quaint little town. Believe it or not, it was filmed on a back lot in Encinito, California, and it was 100-plus degrees. And in most of the scenes, you can see George sweating because it's that hot. It's over 100 degrees. Filmed it in summer. He's wearing a jacket. Kind of interesting, the backstory, isn't it? It's just kind of fascinating. And all that snow, it's really cool. Black and white, their, 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 their special effects were great. All that snow is just cornflakes. That's all it is because it gave the right crunch sound that they needed. 
Mm, kind of neat. No, you didn't know that. You're like, that's one of those facts that I just didn't care to know. But now you know it, and you're better for it, I'm sure. And also, do you remember the part where Uncle Billy, they're celebrating that uh, George Bailey's brother just got married? Uncle Billy had had a little bit too much. And he's walking down the sidewalk, and you hear what sounds like Uncle Billy crashing into a bunch of trash cans. And he says, oh, I got it. I got it. I'm okay. And some of you are like, Pastor, you do that drunk sound way too well. I don't know. Something's in your eggnog. No, no, no. And, uh, and what really happened was that that moment behind the camera, an intern had just knocked over a bunch of rolls of film. And Uncle Billy was so quick to just kind of ad lib because you almost see James, uh, uh, James Stewart go out of character for a second. If you watch his face, he almost steps out of character, and then he has to keep from laughing because he sees what's going on, and Uncle Billy's just playing with it. That wasn't meant to happen because there's a lot that goes into the backstory, and you have a backstory, and your backstory is very important to who you are. And so this morning in Matthew chapter number one, where we're going to be, we're going to find out what's the backstory to Jesus Christ. And I've entitled this morning's message, The story behind the glory, the story behind the glory, because the Bible says in later on in the New Testament, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten son of God. Okay, we beheld his glory. So what's the story behind the glory? Let's 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 kind of dig below the surface. And I hope this message will be a help to you and encouragement as we head into our Christmas season. And notice, if you would, Matthew chapter number one. And if we can, out of respect for the word of God, do you mind standing? Would that be okay if we stand? Out of reverence for God also gives us some exercise. All right. We're going to notice just a few verses here and I'll make a little commentary and we'll continue on with our message. The Bible says the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And you got to bear with me. This is a lot of names, folks. And you and I, we've done this. Our Bible reading plan through through the Bible in a year. You and I, we, we cheat here. I, you don't have to lie to me. All right. You don't have to lie to your pastor. I know we cheat at this part. We just kind of say, yabba, yabba. Okay. Yes, I got that. It's just a bunch of names. But these names are important. It's the backstory. So we're going to go through some of these names. Some of you're going to remember, some of you're not. And I'll explain it. Verse 2, Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judas and brethren, and Judas begat Pharaoh and Zerah of Tamar, and Pharaoh begat Ezram, and Ezram begat Aaron, and Aaron begat Amminadab, Amminadab begat Nason, Nason begat Salmon, Salmon begat Booz of Rahab, and Booz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, Jesse begat David, the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of of Urias. Now, can we skip down to verse number 17? So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. So we see three separate times, 14 specific generations here, and we're going to kind of delve into that a little bit, and there's some names that we're going to kind of jump into, but before we do that, before we do that, can you help me spread some Christmas cheer, and why, what I need you to do is, I need you to put down your Bibles, put down your notes, and you got to get out of your seat and find three people, and you got to wish them a Merry Christmas, and you got to give them a high five, and say Merry Christmas, spread that Christmas cheer, folks, some of you just need some Christmas cheer this morning, so you find somebody, you high five them, and you get Give them some Christmas cheer. Come on, spread the love. It's Christmas time. Tell somebody you love them. Tell them happy, uh, Merry Christmas. See you, man. Merry Christmas. Good to see you, man.
All right, I said say Merry Christmas, not tell them your whole life story. All right, find your places, find your places. Matthew chapter number one, we're going to continue along with that. Y'all like that part too much. Man, I'm telling you what, that's good. You may be seated, thank you for standing, out of respect for the word of God. It's going to be a great day in God's house. I hope you're glad to be in church. I'm glad to be here, and I am glad you are here. We got some big things on the horizon. Some of you know God's doing some exciting things here. Two miracles happened this past week, and when I say miracles, they are honest to God miracles. Just amazing things that God is doing in our church. So we're excited. We're at a great place and a great place in our history. For being a church that's only 11 months old, God is good. But we're looking at this backstory, the story behind the glory, and I want one thought to kind of stay in your mind. God's grand design is bigger than my dysfunction, okay? That's the thought I want you to just hold in your mind throughout this message. God's grand design is bigger than my dysfunction. You say, what do you mean? And I want us to go back in those verses that we read, beginning in verse number three. The Bible mentions some names, and I'm just going to pull them out, okay? And the Bible says there's Tamar, okay? That's one. There's also Rahab. We also meet Ruth. And then we also meet... It's, she's mentioned, she's implied, Bathsheba. Four women in the genealogy. You say, what's the big deal? I, I, I don't really care. We, here's the big deal about it, okay? It's a genealogy, and there's no other women mentioned. And if you look at other genealogies, you don't mention the women. It's not because they were chauvinists. It's because the line was through the men. But why in Scripture does God point out these four women? And what do these four women have in common? Can I tell you what they have in common? We're going to kind of go back just a little bit, okay? Tamar was a prostitute. Which was? Rahab was also a prostitute, okay? And then we also have Ruth. Ruth was from the, tr- she was a Moabite who then married somebody who was, all, uh, who was Jewish. And then she, of the Moabites, you gotta, you gotta understand where their whole, whole race came from, came from this guy named Lot. And he had an incestuous affair in a cave with his two daughters, and that's where we get the Moabites. So that's where Ruth's from, okay? And then you have Bathsheba. And we kind of know Bathsheba's story. Bathsheba was the one that cheated on her husband Uriah with King David and they had a son together the first one died but then Solomon lived so you have these four women and these four women aren't necessarily what we call Proverbs 31 virtuous holy upstanding you want them teaching your Sunday school class and marrying your son type of women okay that's just not who they are and let's not sugarcoat it and I know maybe this this morning you want a nice cuddly cute Christmas Christ-centered, let's see if I can find another C, um, crispy Christian message. I messed it up. But you see where I'm going with. Maybe that's what you wanted this morning. It's not what you're going to get. Because there's a backstory to the story. There's the glory. There's, there's something that happened in this passage. And we've got to see it. Because I want you to see that there's a backstory of shame here. There's a real backstory of shame. And maybe that's where you kind of find yourself at. You're saying, I don't know if I could truly follow Christ I don't know if I could truly give my all to him because I'm looking at my backstory and it's not real great man well let's just go back we don't have time so I'm just going to kind of read along and help catch you up in Genesis chapter number 37 we or 38 rather we read about this woman named Tamar Tamar was given to Judah's son okay 
Judah had three sons, and Tamar was given to the oldest. The oldest son displeased God, and God killed him. So Tamar was given, the, given to the next brother. The next brother, because of Jewish tradition, was supposed to carry seed, carry on the name of his older brother. He didn't want to carry on the name of his older brother. He wanted to carry on his name because that reason he did something terrible, and God took his life as well. Well, the youngest one was too young to be married. So Judah told Tamar, hey, when the youngest is old enough, I'll come find you and you can marry him. Okay. Well, Tamar says, okay, all right, I'll wait. And in that day and age, it wasn't like today where I'll just go to eHarmony and I'll figure this thing out. No, no, she was waiting. Well, Judah deceived her. And when his youngest son did grow up, he never went and got Tamar and said, hey, the youngest is of age. Now you can get married. He didn't do that. He found another wife for his younger son. And it was told Tamar. And she wasn't too happy about it. And she heard that her father-in-law, legally still her father-in-law, was in the area where she was. So she, the Bible says, dressed up like a prostitute. The Bible says she took off her widow's clothing. And the Bible says she covered herself and dressed like a prostitute and was waiting in the gate. And Judah comes. And the Bible says that Judah slept with his daughter-in-law. And before she leaves... She, he's, he's going to, he's going to pay her. And she says, here's what I want. I want your ring and I want your staff and I want your cloak. That's what I want as far as payment. And he says, sure, not a problem. And then she said, I also want a kid, a goat. All right. So that was what he was going to pay her with. He has no idea that Tamar is his daughter-in-law. She has totally kept him in the dark. Okay. Well, here's what happens. Judah comes back with the kid and he's asking in the town, Hey, where's Where's the prostitute? And they say, there's no prostitute in this town. He says, well, I was here last time, and, and there was. So he goes home. But then it's found out that Tamar is pregnant. Word gets back to Judah that Tamar is pregnant. Now, legally, he can have her executed, stoned, and killed. So he's going to. He's going to have her killed. So he gets the men together, and he says, she has been unfaithful. She was supposed to wait. She was supposed to be a widow. She has been unfaithful. We're going to stone her. So he goes with a group of men, and she says, and they said, who got you pregnant? And she said, the one that owns this staff, this ring, and this cloak. And Judah knew what he had done. And it was like, oh, wow, I messed up. So that's Tamar. That's her story. You have Rahab. Rahab was when the children of Israel were coming into the promised land. That first city, that city of Jericho, she operated basically what was a brothel. That's what she operated. That was how she got her living. And she saves two of the spies. She keeps them. She hides them there. And she says, hey, uh, save me when you guys take over. And they said, okay, keep the scarlet cord in the window. And she operated this. She had lived a past that was shameful. But yet God spared her, and now she's in the line of Jesus Christ, okay? She's in that line. And then you have Ruth. Ruth, to no fault of her own, was born a Moabite, but the Jewish people had nothing to do with the Moabites. They had known their past. They had, they had nothing to do with them. They didn't want to be around them. They had nothing but contempt for them. But here, even a Moabite, somebody whose past starts with an incestuous affair between a daughter and a father, that God, even then, his grand design is bigger than my dysfunction. His grand design, and I thank God for his grand design, bigger than my dysfunction. And then you see this woman, Bathsheba. And everybody faults David for this one. And I don't think we're quite um, uh, 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 right in heaping all our blame on David, like David did everything. He did a lot of it, okay? All right, he did. 
But hold on, how come Bathsheba never fesses up to Uriah, her husband? She just goes with it, man. I mean, she's just kind of like, all right, the king, that's what he wants to do. You're telling me her conscience wasn't guilty? Wrong. You're telling me she didn't want to do something? I, I guarantee you there was guilt when she saw him. He did come home, after all, before he died. She did see him, after all. You don't think for one second there was a little bit of like, I'm pregnant and it's not your baby, it's the king's. And now I'm conspiring with the king to kind of get rid of this problem? No, she's guilty. She's got a tainted past. But even through that, God still is able to work, and God uses her in the line of Jesus Christ. So as you see Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, a holy God, robed in flesh, his line is filled with people with a broken past. We don't have time, but there's three kings that are also mentioned, along with David, who were horrible kings in the nation of Israel, who literally would offer their sons as a burnt offering, their own children, in pagan sacrifice. That's what these kings would do. So you can look in the line of Christ, and you can see that it's filled with just some shady characters. Honestly, I kind of feel like I'm not so bad anymore. What about you? All of a sudden, you're like, yeah, those people in the Bible, I'm pretty good. Man, I can hold my head a little bit higher. This message is kind of getting me down and depressed, but I feel really good about our family. I mean, yeah, we may not eat dinner together. We may not always do our family devotions, but we ain't got that junk going on, all right? I promise you that, okay? So you can feel good about your your, your, your family. So I want you to see this background, but I want you to understand something. And this is what I love about this passage. And this is one I got out of it. And you can write it down. And if you don't want to write it down, just write it down anyway. Your past has nothing to do with your potential. Isn't that good? Your past has nothing to do with your potential? Because look what God did through these people who had royally screwed up. God said, hey, it's okay. I'm going to be able to correct this. Because my grand design is bigger than your dysfunction. That God right now, whatever uh, situation you find yourself in, God says, I can overrule. I put it in your notes. It's somewhere there that only God can draw a straight line with crooked sticks. That God can fix the situation that you're in. God can take care of what's happening in your family, what's happening in your past. And some of you, you keep trying to figure it out. And God says, don't worry. You just keep loving and living for me. And this thing will work itself out because your past is not your potential. Also, I love this. Your guilt is no match for his grace. Praise God for that. That whatever guilt you're feeling over the past, it's no match for the grace of God. God says, I love you. I will pour out my grace. I will pour out my favor on you. It's your, your sin, your guilt is just no match for him. It's like you showing up for a prize fight that you haven't trained for. And in the ring steps, I don't know, Manny Pacquiao or Mary, uh, May, Meriwether. Uh, you're not ready for it. This isn't going to go well. That's the way your guilt and your sin, they step into the ring with almighty, omnipotent, incomparable God. And God says, there's no chance here. It's not going to survive. And praise God for that. So whatever guilt, whatever shame you walked in here with this this morning, I'm telling you what, it can stay here because God says once it steps into the ring with me, I take it out. Because God says even in my line, you're thinking your past is messed up. You're thinking there's problems that are going on in your life. Look at the family tree of Jesus. It's a mixed bag of rocks for sure, Christian. This should give us some hope. So your guilt is no match for his grace. This just reminds me that there is power in the possibilities of what God can do. There's some real power at work here, Christian, that whatever your situation is, God says, I can work. So we see there's the backstory of shame, but then there's this 
backstory of the Savior here. You say, what do you mean? And we looked at verse 17, and then I also want to look at verse 21 of the same passage. If you have your Bible or your tablet or your smartphone, look at verse 21 just for a second of chapter 1. It said, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's what God came to do. Some people have said that he came to die. And I beg to differ on that. He didn't just come to die. If he came to die, he, and I've said this before, he could come, be born, and say, hey, I just got to die, and we just got to take care of this, and I can be home by lunch. Okay, let's just do this real quick. None of this growing up, puberty stuff, dating, hormones. No, nah, let's just skip all that. You know, let's just, let's just to get, get this done with. No, no, no. He didn't just come to die. There's, there's more than that. He also came to show us how to live. And so we see here that there's this backstory of the Savior. Would you look at verse 17, though? And remember how I said those 14s kind of kept popping up over there? I'm kind of a Bible nut. I guess as a pastor, you kind of get paid to be a Bible nut. And so throughout this week, I kept seeing this 14 pop up. And I was like, I know I've read that somewhere else. Like, like why is 14 significant? And then it hit me in Leviticus chapter number 23. The Bible says there are these feasts, okay? There's these, there's these holy feasts that, that they would have. And one of those feasts was called the Feast of the Passover. And for some of you, you're going to hear that name Passover, and you're going to start connecting some dots here. And what Passover was supposed to take place is how specific and awesome God is. God God said the Passover is to take place on the, can anybody just wild guess what day, like numerical day it was supposed to fall on? 14, we got, man, you guys are smart, I'm telling you what, I hope Santa's extra good to you guys. That's exactly right, 14. You see, here is Jesus, you see his generations are 14, 14, and 14, not by accident. You see that the Bible says that the day of Passover, you say, what was the Passover all about? That was a representation of what happened when the children of Israel were about to leave Egypt. The Bible says that, hey, I'm going to slay the oldest unless I see blood on the doorpost. And then the death angel would pass by or pass over. And they celebrate this every year. It's called the Feast of Passover. What's very interesting is the Bible says in John 18, and let me read the scripture. The Bible says, Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all, but ye have a custom that I release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Speaking about Jesus. They all cried again, no, we want Barabbas. We want the murderer. We want the sinner. You can crucify Jesus at Passover. You see, Jesus, these number 14s, they're leading up to something. You say, what are they leading up to? The number 14 in scripture literally represents the word deliverance. Whenever you see the number 14, it stands for deliverance. You see here, Jesus said, my whole life points to one event. That I am come to deliver you. To save you from your sins. That's what he's all about. And yes, he came to show us how to live. And yes, he taught us in the Beatitudes. And yes, he taught us to love one another. Yes, he taught us so many things. But the thing that's most important is that he came so that we might have deliverance from sin. So that when God looks at you and I, when we receive Jesus Christ in our hearts, he no longer sees our shady past. He no longer sees our broken sin. What he sees is just like in Leviticus or in Numbers, 
where they would put that blood on the doorpost, just like there, God sees his perfect, spotless, sinless son's blood applied to the cross. And he says, I'm going to pass over because you've received my son. So this whole event, the backstory is leading up that he's brought us deliverance, deliverance from our failure by giving us forgiveness. We don't deserve it. We don't in any way could earn it, but he gave it. And Jesus delivers you from your sin by giving you this Savior, Jesus Christ, who his whole life is there to save you. Matter of fact, the Bible says in verse 23 that they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us, which being interpreted God with us. It's, it's God's with you. God is for you. And then it ends that same passage by it says you should call his name Jesus. Jesus means, his whole name means salvation. It's pointing to this thing that you need to make a decision to receive Jesus Christ. So this morning, we see that there's a backstory. But the question that I want to bring you to is, how will you respond to it? Okay? We see that Jesus didn't have a perfect life. And sometimes that's the holdup from people accepting Jesus Christ. They're looking at their past and they're saying, no, nah, I got to be better. I, I got to fix some stuff before I can come to Jesus. My, my past kind of hold me back from making a decision. And I hope this morning you've seen that your past has nothing to do with the decision that you need to receive Jesus Christ as your personal savior past has nothing to do with that matter of fact your past god can use it for great good if you will let him so what are you going what's going to be your backstory next week or or on the on thursday when it is christmas will you be able to look back on this sunday december 21st and say that was the day where i put my faith and trust in jesus christ that was the day where i i asked him to be my deliverer that was that day that's my backstory now my backstory is forever changed would you notice, just flipping over one chapter, would you? I love this next chapter. Notice, if you would, if I can just read a couple verses, okay? Beginning of verse number one. The Bible says in verse two, or chapter two, verse one. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. The reason Herod was troubled was because Herod was the guy that literally would murder his own children so they wouldn't take over his throne. He literally killed his wife if he, she displeased him. He had no problem killing anybody to protect his throne. That's Herod. And basically what he's saying, the, here's these wise men from the east. They're looking for a new king of the Jews. I'm the only king. And the reason he's troubled is because now he's, he's worried. He's thinking there's a challenger for his throne. Verse 4, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes and people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And this is always funny to me. And the Bible says, And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets. And they began to quote Micah 5.2, where Jesus was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem. What's funny, do you in your nativity scenes, my nativity scene doesn't have it, maybe yours does. Mine sometimes ends up with Barbie dolls and G.I. Joes and cars, but my nativity scene does not have uh, King Herod and it doesn't have any Jewish leaders at it. Does yours? Why? Why weren't they there? They knew about it. They were able to tell King Herod, hey, we know exactly where Jesus Christ is supposed to come. How come they weren't there? It's interesting. Here this star was guiding these men. And these men, probably from scholars believe from Babylon, and this is kind of interesting for some of you other Bible geeks, you might like this. You, we are, they're called the Magi, and some of us have wondered, how did the Magi kind of know about this? Um, 
the children of Israel lived in Babylon. Don't you think they would have influenced some of their culture a little bit? They would have. Don't you think there would be a remnant that stayed? There would have been. That would have known parts of the scripture? Of course they would have been. So most likely, these magi are from Babylon, which is about a thousand-mile journey. Would have taken almost two years to make in this day and age. Which supposes where, you know, and we love that song. We three kings of Orientar, following the star, you know, that, that whole thing. Um, it, it, it's a great song, don't get me wrong. It's probably theologically incorrect we just we we don't know how many wise men there were we probably there's probably more than three i know historians say that there was a couple and they give some names but more than likely there was more than just three we just see the three gifts but i want you to see something here these wise men they come to the place where the star stopped and it's at that moment something happens in history it's a dividing line in history say what do you mean a dividing line at that moment, something spectacular happened. We now have B.C. and A.D. There's a splitting because Christ came. There's a splitting. There's this defining moment. I bet some of you have a defining moment. Some of you may remember when President Kennywood was assassinated. Anybody like that? You, you remember that? Didn't you get sent home from school? They said the school's closed. I mean, this is, this is a defining moment. I mean, this is just something where you're just like, Whoa, that's, that's kind of big. That, that, that's big. Uh, how many of us, you can remember still the place you were when you heard that the Twin Towers were falling. How many of you remember that? You, you can picture the place where you were. I can't. I know exactly where I was. Our phone was going off the hook at our house, and we were hearing the news, and they were calling our, our house saying, hey, Pastor, you got you to, my dad was Pastor, not me. I was only like 11 years old. All right, and uh, um, so they, they, were, they were calling. And they were like, turn on the TV, look what's happened. We just couldn't, couldn't believe what was happening. We can remember those events. If I'm ever around my grandfather, he, he, can, he can tell me so accurately what it was like at Pearl Harbor because he was there. He said, I was there. I watched the whole thing happen. He said, it's one of those things where my life is forever. I can chart my life from that. For some of you, there is the, um, um, you've got other events. There's the, the um, um, BM and AM. Okay, before marriage and after marriage. There's a big difference, huh? Some of you are like, yeah, there's a big difference. Before marriage, man, guys, we just had it all. I mean, it didn't really matter. I mean, we just didn't have to worry about much. You know, it was great. You know, it was just kind of the free life. You're just kind of just out on your own and everything. And then after marriage, I mean, you know, it's still great. It's just, it's different, right? It's different. Before marriage, you know, you'd sit on the couch and cuddle and kiss. And then after marriage, you might be sleeping on the couch. You know, I mean, it's different, huh? Things change. But not me. Not me. I'm a real man. I won't sleep on the couch. Uh-uh. Not happening. Never sleeping on the couch. I might sleep on the floor next to her, but I'm not sleeping on the couch, okay? There's just none of that happening, you know. And, uh, but there's this before marriage, after marriage. Um, there's there's, the, there's the, the before marriage, you don't understand women. You don't understand them. Come on, guys. We just, and then after marriage, we still don't understand them. Nothing really changes there. Hey, before marriage, you know, guys, we used to go home, and uh, we would just lie awake at night just thinking about what she had said. Oh, you're so handsome. Your muscles are just so big. You're just, you're just, just, just a man. And then now, ladies, 
before you can finish what you're saying, he's already asleep. You know, I mean, it's just like, what happened? You know, it used to be lie awake just thinking about you. And then now it's like, hey, honey, we got to talk. Oh, you just hear him snoring over there. You know, you're just like, man, it's before marriage, after marriage. Hey, what about before kids, after kids? You remember before kids, you were checking out, hey, you want to check out that new sushi restaurant? And then after kids, hey, there's McDonald's, a new play place. It's like, yes, let's go, you know. I mean, it changes, you know. Before kids, you smelled normal. You did. After kids, you smell like a wet wipe and a diaper. I mean, there's this mix. And we won't guess what kind of diaper it is, like a used or onion. You just, it's this smell. You get around parents, and there's just an odor around them, you know. It's kind of, yeah, they got kids, you know. I mean, especially when you get in their car. You get in their car, you know they got kids, all right? It's just there because there's before kids, there's the after kids. And you, there's just big events that happen. There's big events that just happen in life. You, just, you can mark your life by it. And here's this major event that has happened, and it's going to forever split time. But yet I want you to see the reaction of these three people we're talking about. The wise men, it's obvious. What were they doing? They were seeking him. Somebody's had the wise cliche that said wise men still seek him today. So there's that group. They were seeking him. King Herod, he's going to go on to go to Bethlehem, take soldiers, and murder every boy that is below two years old and younger to wipe them out. So here's King Herod trying to stop him. But then there's these religious Pharisee guys, leaders, the, the spiritual leaders. They were ignoring him. My question is, what are you going to do with Jesus this morning? You're going to seek him? You're going to resist him? Because I guarantee you, a message like this is being preached so clearly that Jesus came. He came to be your deliverer. He came to set you free from your sin, your guilt, and your shame. I guarantee there's somebody sitting in this theater that is sitting here, and God is speaking. You don't know if that's heartburn. You don't know if it's indigestion. You knew you shouldn't have had that for breakfast. You don't know what it is, but the Holy Spirit is prompting convicting and working on you saying you need to accept him you need to seek him this morning and you're just going to sit there and are you just going to resist him like Herod I'm, no i'm going to stop the work of the holy spirit no uh, not happening not this christmas bah humbug you're just nah, against it is that what you're going to do and there's some they'll hear a message like this it's good that white dude he can he's all right he can preach not as good as Charles Stanley. Always compared me to Charles Stanley. He's all right. But ah, it's just a message. It's Christmas. You're checking the game. There's no hope for the Niners. Just, just let it die, all right? Just let it die, okay? It, it's over, all right? We can cry together afterward. We can have a group huddle, all right? We can have some hugging if you need it, all right? So checking the score is not going to help anything. Some of you are writing your Christmas list. You're like, I came to church because it's above the mall, and I need to do some shopping today. That's why I'm here. You know, no offense. Church is good. God's good. Whatever. But you're just like, I need to do some shopping, man. That's why I'm here. It's convenience. Praise God for it. I'm glad you're here. Whatever got you here. Because I don't think it was an accident. Even if you came for shopping, don't feel bad that you came for shopping. I came to eat afterward. I told my wife yesterday, I've been looking forward to eating afterward. We, we talked about a restaurant. I said, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a good day. I don't care if y'all show up. This is going to be, I'll preach myself. I like this message. But whatever God brought you here, what are you going to do with it? You see, for me as a pastor, the angst is always 
that, and, and I love it when you guys on Monday, you're talking about the message. Yeah, yeah that's great. And listen to the podcast. And here, share it. And listen to it. And you help me. That's good. But I don't preach for you to get to Monday. Man, that's just a hangover. That's all that is for Sunday. If the message doesn't stay with you till Monday, man, fire me. Let's get somebody else, all right? It's got to stay with you till Monday. I preach to get you to next Sunday, get you through the week. That's what I'm preaching for, okay? So are you just going to, thank you, Mom. Somebody amen me. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> you, you are awesome. Keep your tie this week. You bless you. One person loves me. All right. But some, you're just, you're going to ignore it. You're going to miss out. Or are you going to be the person that says, no, I'm seeking. I'm seeking Jesus this year. Yeah, we're going to have presence. Yeah, we're going to do, we're going to do all the festive stuff. But man, I want more of him. And maybe you're sitting here this morning. You're saying, I'm still on the fence, guy. I'm still not sure. I'm looking at the Bible and I'm seeing that he came. But what are you going to do with him? There's a, there's a blasphemous movie it really is it's a funny movie but it's just blasphemous okay and uh don't don't judge me all right we meet in a theater so i quote a lot of movies hope you don't mind and um and and you don't have to raise your hand you don't have to admit that you saw this movie the ballad of ricky bobby all right okay you don't have to admit that you watched this the race car movie it's an old movie came out in the early 2000s if you didn't see it's fine but there's a scene where the family's sitting down to prayer he's a nascar guy but he's kind of he's not the brightest guy and they're sitting down to pray, and he is praying, dear baby, eight pound, point two ounce baby, Lord Jesus. And then his wife interrupts him and says, um, the baby Jesus isn't always a baby. He, he grows up, and he begins to say in the middle of the prayer, I like the baby Jesus. And then his son pops up. He says, yeah, I like to imagine Jesus as a ninja. And then it just kind of spirals out of control how people see him. And uh, it's kind of a funny scene, and here's why it's funny, because it's so true. Because we all see Jesus very differently. And some of us, that's how we want to picture Jesus. He's just a little baby, just a wee, cute, little, cuddly baby. But the Bible says in Revelation that one day every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. Every eye will behold him. The Bible says, as he is. It's funny that they say, as he is. Because he's not a baby anymore, he's a full grown man. The Bible says on his side is written the word. Basically, it's a mean tattoo is what it is, but it's the Bible. And they say his vesture is dipped in blood. And the Bible says he carries a sword. Not a guy I want to meet in a dark alley. But we want to go back to the manger, cute, cuddly Jesus. But one day we're going to have to bow to that Jesus. How are you going to respond to him? This isn't threat. This isn't intimidation. This is how you see him is how you respond to him. That's what it is. How do you see Jesus this morning means everything. Because a baby didn't save you. It's a 33-year-old man who died on a cross painfully, brutally, grotesquely. That's who died for you. That's the one who came to be your deliverer. With all of our mess, with all of our junk, with all of our dysfunction, because his grand design was bigger than my dysfunction. That's wh who came. The question is, what will you do with him? What's going to be your vesture? Every head bowed and every eye is closed.